One of the key things that I learned at Southwest Airlines was uh, critical conversations and building trust. The way that I was raised, this was not something like we had critical conversations around the house. You, you pretty much did what you were told, and if you argued, that was not a good thing. When I was growing up, I, I hung out with people who thought a lot like I did. You know, it's, it's nice to have sympathetic people support your ideas. That's one of the things that I realized is that if you're building a team and everybody thinks like you do, it's like, why do you need a team? So it's really important to have different ideas, uh, people coming from different places. You know, people can get into arguments. Somebody is saying something where, you know, they're criticizing the person versus criticizing the ideas or the behavior. Well, then you have to... Hi, I'm Ed Wilson, and you're listening to Tech Legacies Podcast. Welcome to the Tech Legacies video podcasts, where every week and every episode, we come to you with a technology executive sharing their career stories, advice, insights, and lessons to help you grow your tech career. So welcome, everybody. This episode. I am pleased to announce that our guest will be Ed Wilson. Ed, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I just want to share with the audience here some of your, your past, <laughs> because you've had quite the journey, Ed, um, and I find it fascinating. So currently, you are the professor of mathematics at UT Arlington, um, but before that, you had over two decades at Southwest Airlines going from developer all the way to senior enterprise architect. Mm -hmm. And then before that, you were also a professor of mathematics at the University of Dallas. So yes. you've gone academia, corporate, <laughs> back to academia. Yes, yes, back to the beginning. Yes. Why those transitions? What made you do all those switches? Wow. Uh, so I would say going from academics into industry the first time um, that was a big that was a big change yeah. and I like most things there were there were lots of things going on I, I made the change right when the first internet bubble happened mm. and so that was a very exciting time uh, you know it's like this brand new thing the internet was out there and uh, people were getting in and and there was a lot of interesting things going on and um, so I, I decided to make that change. It was a, it was a very difficult change um, because I, I love teaching. Uh, but then I got into uh, industry and got to do consulting, eventually became an architect, and I, I enjoyed that very much too. I'm always curious what shifts people though. Like why, why move from teaching to industry? Like what, was there a pivotal decision or catalyst that prompted you to do that? So there was, at that point in time, a lot of things happening in my life. So, mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll be honest about one thing, and that was um, I, I had a new family. I had my third child was born, and, uh, and if I moved into industry, I made more money. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that's a, that's a big driver. So, you know, that, that was certainly part of it. But uh, part of it was you know, I, I've been hearing about, you know, the, the internet, this is, you know, this brand new thing. And, and I'm, I'm seeing friends and people, you know, dive in. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I can do that too. Yeah. Uh, I started, um, 
I had done some computer programming in, in college and numerical analysis, mathematical kind of things, but I started getting into C and C++ and I enjoyed that. It's, um, it's funny when you're doing development, it's a much more immediate gratification. Mm. Like you write code, you compile it, you run it, you see, wow, I just built this. Um, when you teach, it's, it's, uh, I mean, sometimes you don't know what you've done <laughs> until, you know, I mean, like literally yeah. years later, right. you know, when you, you see the you don't students, see the impacts. you don't see the impacts, you know, day to day to day. And so, um, you know, I, I gave it a try and then I, I made the decision, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make the shift. So I did that. Now we all hear, I mean, Southwest Airlines is a such a well-known brand and so well-known. And I remember when we were prepping for this call, I asked you, what would you like to talk about? What topic are you passionate about? And one of the things that stood out to you during your time there was leadership, right? Everything you learned around leadership. You went from developer, which is, I guess, a very tactical kind of role, all the way, all the way to senior enterprise architect, which is architecting the whole system and things like that. Tell us about that, the leadership lessons that you learned along that way. Sure. So um, at least the, when I started out in technology, it was a very, very, um, you know, you're, you are, I was not a leader. I'm working on producing, I'm writing the code, you know, that I'm, I'm trying doer, to write. Right? The doer, the doer. Yeah. And then um, as my career progressed in Southwest Airlines, I got into more and more leadership positions, but they're, they're technical leadership and, and not as much people management. However, I will say architects at Southwest Airlines, they are people leaders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went to the same training that uh, regular managers and directors went to. And I will say my experience at Southwest Airlines, they do a great job of leadership training. I really, I did not appreciate um, what a great job they did until I did some consulting after I retired from Southwest and got to see what was going on in some other companies. And it's like, I realized it's like, wow, Southwest really does a great job. I, I very much was very fortunate uh, to have had the opportunity to, to get the leadership training I did at Southwest. What were some of those key leadership lessons you learned? So um, one of the key things that I learned at Southwest Airlines was um, uh, critical conversations and building trust. Mm. And uh, this is something I, I just have to say the way that I was raised, this was not something like we had critical conversations around the house. Yeah. <laughs> you, you pretty much did what you were told. Yeah. And if you argued, that was not a good thing. And uh, so, just like school, yeah, you yeah. shouldn't argue with the teacher. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You got in trouble. Well, I got in trouble that way anyway. But, um, but you know, we, we had training where it was like in, in the training, you know, pick three people out that you're having some conflict with and go have a crucial conversation with them right now. And, uh, you know, just learning to, to address um, conflict, unhealthy conflict, like immediately and turning it into uh, constructive conflict, which is great. That's important. It's important that you, you know, talk to other people and understand where they're coming from. Let them know where you're coming from. Um, that's part of the training. And, and you know, once I uh, learned that behavior, it was 
you know, something that I really tried to practice is, you know, not, you know, address things very quickly, very openly, face to face. Um, that was, that was a great thing that uh, I, I learned there. Was that, that was uncomfortable though, right? Obviously. <laughs> How do you, what was the tactic that they taught to kind of like manage that discomfort? And that? Um, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it is doing it. And um, doing it being, even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's uncomfortable, but you know, being very honest, being very direct, listening to the other per person, realizing the other person, they have their own motivations. Uh, you know, just because somebody disagrees with you, it doesn't make you stupid or them stupid. It means that they they have different things that are important to them than you do. You need to learn out what it, what are those things, mm -hmm. and when you can come to a common understanding of what's important to both of you then that helps you be able to work out, you know, how can we get to a common goal where both of us are meeting, you know, some of our needs so we can, we can compromise and, and move forward. What was something else you learned along leadership lines? Um, so one of the things that I learned was building a team that had diversity of thought mm. on it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, a lot of times when I know when I was growing up, I, I hung out with people who thought a lot like I did. You know, it's, it's nice to have sympathetic people support your ideas or whatever. But that's one of the things that I realized is that if you're building a team and everybody thinks like you do, it's like, why do you need a team? You know, so it's really important to, um, to have different ideas, uh, people coming from different places. Uh, and I will say, when you get a lot of different ideas on the team, you have to go back to, it's important that you manage um, that because yeah. you know people can get into arguments. You need to make yes. sure that you're always communicating and, and make it constructive conflict rather than destructive conflict. And so that was something, uh, and again, it's, it's not easy, but it's one of those things that you definitely have to watch the discussions. And when you mm -hmm. see people are not, um, they're not being healthy in the discussion. You need to, again, one of the things I would do is like get them together. Okay, let's have a meeting, the three of us, and let's talk about this and make sure that we're communicating. Do those conversations ever get heated? Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> How do you manage that? <laughs> uh, again, I mean, you, you've just got to, you've got to be in there. You've got to keep talking. You've got to call people on it. You know, if somebody is saying something where, you know, they're criticizing the person versus criticizing the ideas or the behavior, well, then you have to call people on that and, and uh, you know, keep control of it. Um, it's not easy. Those, yeah. those, that's, that's not easy. But, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of, of having a team, mm -hmm. you know, is, and, and that's the way that you're going to get the best ideas out of your team is if everybody is okay with putting their ideas out there and um, people are willing to discuss. Um, I'll tell you another thing that was actually very nice about the last team that I was on is I had some people on the team that were natural peacemakers. Mm. So that was, you know, a, 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 again, uh, a, good, a good kind of talent yeah. to have on the team is, is somebody who was there who could, you know, help bring the temperature down and help, you know, try to see people where they, they were agreeing and, you know, talk about how, how can we uh, get past the disagreement. I mean, again, 
it's it's not that you're 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 never going to have disagreements it but it's at some point in time you have to reach a consensus you have to move forward and that's the thing that i would say is like you know okay we can arguments ourselves uh when we leave the room we want to be rowing in the same direction you know and and uh that's it's important to have that communication with the team are there key ingredients to the makeup of the teams that you put together? Like you mentioned, there is the role of a peacemaker, right? And then the diversity of thought. Um, what other kind of ingredients would you throw into that building a team? Um, <laughs> so I, I think one of the things that you're gonna find in a high performing team is, I mean, it, you want a high performing team. You want, a, a, you want people on the team that everybody is really striving to do the best that they can do. And um, I guess one of the things that I would say is you're, you're not always able to just go out and choose. I mean, you, you, you build the team with, the, with uh, who you have the opportunity of, of getting. But, um, you know, one of the things that uh, is important to me, and I, I will just say it's, um, very aggravating, but it's great to have somebody. It's having a questioner, having somebody that just questions everything. And, you know, and it's, it's a good thing. Like I said, it can be aggravating because it's like, oh, could yeah. you just, you know, calm down for a minute. But having somebody who can question, again, they have to be not doing it in a destructive way. They have to be, you know, trying to get people to really support their ideas and fill in the details. So that's, mm -hmm. That's very good. Um, as I said before, a peacemaker, a peacemaker on the team. It's a helpful thing if you're a leader and you have to manage, you know, these different personalities, mm -hmm. these different intellects. If you have somebody who can help you kind of bring the temperature down when, when you need to. Um, another thing is uh, having somebody on the team that's willing to uh, charge up a hill after, uh, while being shot at with a machine gun. You know, having somebody who is you know, we'll go yeah. out there and, yeah. and, you know, be the bulldog, almost. be the bulldog. Exactly. Yeah. Be the bulldog. That's a, that's a great way to say it. Having somebody like that on the team is a, is a great asset. Cause it's like, there's some times when you just need to point somebody at an objective and say, and, and, you know, I mean, it's almost like you don't even have to say, go do it. It's like, okay, I just pointed them in this direction and they're going to, you know, right. they, they will pursue it. As the leaders of that team, did you end up having to wear all these multiple hats yourself or? No, because, mm. you know, that's one of the things, and I'll just say it's a kind of a pet peeve of mine is when I see, when I see leaders who are trying to do everything on the team. I mean, that's not the job of the leader. The job of the leader is to give the people on the team the opportunity to do the things that they're good at and then to stretch them to try to, you know, be better to grow. But it's like leaders, I, I often think about uh, this, you know, I've I taught four teenagers how to drive. And the way that you teach somebody to drive is you got to put them in the driver's seat. Mm. You know, they can't learn to drive by watching you drive. They have to sit in the driver's seat. But the thing is, while they're learning to drive, you can't be like nitpicking them about every little thing. You just kind of like, you know, I, I, if, if they started to drive off in the ditch, I would say something. Right. You know, but um, you, you just got to let them drive as much as you can. So, you know, let them do their thing. Sometimes I would say, hmm, I think I would do that differently. 
but the way they're doing it is okay. You know, that's good enough. And so it's, it's much better to let them do that than for me to step in. Now, sometimes if it was something where, you know, I'm not going to let somebody drive off the road. I'm yeah. not going to let somebody drive over a cliff. Yeah. Uh, so you step in at that point. But, you know, to me, that's part of being a good leader is, is having the right amount of hands-offness. Did you have to do a lot of mentoring to grow your team to the level that was expected for them to be effective? Yes, and, and I will say um, at Southwest Airlines, uh, if you're uh, an architect, there are like five, five things that, uh, that you are, uh, five areas that you're, you, for your expectations. And one of them is technical leadership. And, but what they mean by technical leadership in that case is mentoring is it's important that you're growing the people on your team. It's important that you're growing other people outside of your team. Uh, and, and that's one of the things actually that I, I find about the leadership opportunities that I got like at Southwest Airlines. To me, it felt a lot like teaching in the fact that you are successful when the people you're working with are successful. That's how you measure your success. It's not what I do myself. It's what my team does. That's, that's, you know, my measure of success. Any mentoring tips? Um, again, uh, what I was saying before is uh, you're always trying to stretch people just the right amount. You don't want to break them, but you want to move them out of their comfort zone just enough. And I would say the same thing with students, um, that when you're trying to teach them something, it's not just doing something rote and they do the same thing over and over again. You, you know, to make a B, to make an A, you have to do stuff that you've never seen before yeah. and uh, be successful at that. But again, you don't, set, you don't set the objective so far out that people are going mm -hmm. um, to fail. You have to push them. You want them to grow. That's, that's important. I will tell you another thing is mm -hmm. always talking to them and saying, so what do you want to do? Yeah. You know, what, where do you want to go? What can what can I do to help you get where you want to go versus what, what I'm thinking that they should do? I want to pause real quick here and give a special shout out to one of our sponsors, CG Infinity. I've worked with them for several years now and I can truly say that they have one of the best workplace cultures that I've ever experienced. And they specialize in a variety of industries, especially energy, utilities and financial services and they serve them through their Salesforce, cloud, as well as customer experience services. So thank you, CG Infinity, and I hope you'll support them as they have supported us here at the podcast. Excellent. A lot of things, there's a lot of parallels between your teaching career and your leadership career, right? Yes, yes, uh, I would say so. I mean, I, I, I really believe that um, I have a teacher's heart and I use that in, in, uh, in technology and in being a technology leader. And so now let's go to your shift from industry to another career basically in teaching again. What did you, what was the deciding factor for you to go back to teaching? Um, <laughs> so basically I retired. Yeah. I retired. This okay. is, uh, I am teaching for fun. This is my, because um, you could have easily gone fishing. I, exactly. <laughs> That's right. I could, I could be fishing. I could be uh, traveling Europe. Uh, my wife would be probably happier if I were doing that. But, 
um, I'm, I'm somebody who I, I don't feel good if I don't feel like I'm bringing value. Um, and, uh, and I like being around college-age students. I mean, it, they're, they're loads of fun. I mean, they're very bright. They're excited about stuff uh, to see the transformation that happens between, you know, when the freshmen come in and they don't even know why they're there to when they're juniors and seniors and they're, they've really matured and they understand what they want to do, at least at the beginning of their career. You know, it's, it's exciting. Uh, so it, that's just a lot of fun believe in what are there are there certain like commonalities you you see across the the new wave of college students right now um commonalities across the um what do they want out of life what do they want out of their careers uh i don't know if i i would say like there's common things i have I have students that range in, in what they want. I mean, if you look at, if you look at freshmen, and, and I teach a lot of freshman classes, is that you'll, you'll see that the students, a lot of times when they're going to college, they're not sure what, what they want to do. Um, and uh, as they take courses, uh, and again, I'm teaching math, and so a lot of them are very technical people, um, you see the students getting interested in the topic that they're, I mean, you know, they, you see them being engineers or you see them being scientists or whatever. They, they really, they really get into the subject matter. Uh, and, and so I think that's the thing that, uh, is interesting to me is to see the students after class or, you know, before class we're having conversations in the hall and they're, they're, you know, they're talking about engineering, you know, or they're, they're talking about uh, physics or, or something like that. They're not, you know, I guess they probably don't come and talk to me about music or whatever. I wish they did. <laughs> I like music a lot, but, but, you know, yeah. I get in the yeah. conversations where they're, they're interested in their subject. So I think in some ways it's, it's, it's like, it's like things, you know, have always been at colleges, I think. It's like they're in discovery mode. Right? Yes. Yeah, they're yeah, in discovery they're and figuring it out. And I, I will say probably one of the things that's different now than you know a long time ago is that uh, there's a lot of different possibilities that are offered by the technology, and and I think I think you know technology is wonderful tool. There's so many interesting things that you know they can do now with the new technology. Um, I'll just say you don't. You don't want to use it as a crutch. You want to use it as a tool. But, but there's a lot of th things that these students get to do now because the technology is there. I, I, I remember, you know, when I was a student and when I was first a professor, there were, you know, kind of things that we were only dreaming of. And now, you know, if you look at the James Webb telescope and you look at, you know, the gravity chat wave detection. <laughs> yeah, chat DBT. You have all these things that are just, I mean, we wouldn't have... We wouldn't have uh, thought you could. I mean, we were imagining yeah. that you could do this, but they're real. They're real now. We're, I was watching Star Trek, seeing these <laughs> yeah. inventions. Yeah, you have communicators. You know, yeah. that's one of the things that I tell students all the time is like, you know, your cell phone has more computing power than what we use to get to the moon. 
you know. Uh, All we need is beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the final I'm, invention. <laughs> I'm not going to be the first person to try that. Yeah. that. I'm not doing that. Dissolve into molecules. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm not in favor of anything that if it messes up, I disappear. Your biology, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, so there's obviously the technical, mathematical side of things that they learn. But a lot of things that we talked about earlier in the conversation is the soft skills. Yes. Right? How are we developing those soft skills in college students so that they're prepared for that other side as they start their careers? Sure. So um, one of the things I will just say in general is I, I do talk to students about what, is it, what does it take to actually you know, discover new things. You know, how do you do that? And talk about the human part of the discovery and, and the, the science. Uh, talk about the personalities and understanding that this is all a human endeavor. But one of the things that we do in pretty much every class is we, we do project-based learning. And so, um, like in the calculus classes, we have labs where the students are, are working together in small groups and they're given challenging problems to solve. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of it, they're, I mean, basically given a little bit too much work for anybody to do by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so they have to work together as a team. But again, part of what they're learning how to do is how to bring their peers along. In other words, it's not just, am I successful, but can I... Can I communicate with the other people in my group successfully? And that's one of the discussions that uh, I think st students kind of don't understand. If, if they're a student that is, uh, you know, they think that they're, they're having other people in their group having to tell them a lot of stuff. I said, you realize that those people teaching you, they're learning way more. Mm -hmm. You know, if they get the opportunity to teach somebody else, that's a very effective way to learn. But... Um, one of the things that they have to do is uh, figure out how do you actually work with people in a group. In other words, how do you deal with the person that wants to do everything and you know is going to do it all themselves, or how do you deal with the people who don't do anything? They don't show up. You know what? What do yeah. you what do you do then? And and that's one of the things that we talk about is like that's the way it is in real life. I mean, once you get out in the real world you almost never will do anything that you just do by yourself. It's always part of a team, a small yep. team or a big team. Well, every IT project, every project implementation or delivery is made up of team members. Yes. Right? Every project, every IT request that, that comes through needs a team, right? That's right. And they're yeah. going to have to learn to be part of a team. And they're going to have to learn how to deal with different personalities on a team. What do you think is something that, you know, for college students that are watching this podcast, any kind of advice for them as they navigate the four years or however number of years in college that could be like a ingredient for success for them? Well, I'll say one of the things that I did as a student uh, and it was works for me, so I can't say what's going to work for everybody. But um, and I definitely did this uh, in in graduate school, and that is um, again the whole thing about learning. It is to me, it's a it's a human endeavor. You know, it's a thing about personalities, and so I would intentionally um, 
work my schedule so that I took classes from who I thought was the best professor that I could get. Uh, you know, and the best might be somebody who fits my personality or the best might be they are just, you know, some kind of super outstanding person in their field. That's hard to know though, right? Uh, or how to figure out which professor suits you more if you don't yeah. know them? So I will just say, you know, when I, when I was an undergraduate, I went to a big state school and there uh -huh. were lots of professors and you don't know when you come in as a freshman. Yeah. But you do learn about people's reputations. You do learn about, you know, uh, their personalities. You talk, students talk to yes. each other. They know, they know what, you know, people are like. And I mean, I, I specifically went, chose my graduate school I went to to work with a, a specific person. And it's, it's really funny that um, the, I had seen this professor really giving their student a hard time in a lecture of theirs that I attended. He was, he was, really, he was really pushing his student very hard. He's not in a mean way, but, yeah. but very much you know, making sure that that person really crossed the T's and dotted all the I's. And whatever it was in me, I was like, oh, I want to go work with him. But then I went to graduate school and, and you know, I, he, he beat me into shape. And, I, and it was, <laughs> I will say, it was, it was a beating, but I, I, I needed that. I needed Made somebody. You a better person. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's what turned me into a mathematician was mm -hmm. having somebody that really challenged me. And so that's one of the things I will just, I, I tell students all the time, it's like if you, if you choose a, a graduate school and you go to graduate school and you don't feel like you're stupid, you don't feel like, you know, you're getting beaten down, you went to the wrong place. Ah. You know, this, that's when you go to graduate school or go to professional school, you know, become a doctor, ah. become a lawyer, you want to go someplace that's really going to push you, you know, that really will make a big difference. I mean, again, you don't want it to kill you. Right. But you don't just want... Just enough, though. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want it to be something like you go there and it's like, oh, well, this is easy, you know, easy breezy. It's like you want it to be a, a step. Yeah. You know, you notice, oh, this is definitely harder yes. than what it was. Now, you have a PhD in philosophy and applied mathematics. Oh, no. Uh, it's a, a doctor of philosophy, doctor. right? Yeah, so, and, and yes. that's just the title. That's Got just it. the title, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's applied mathematics. But I, I always think like that's a very unique combination because it's almost like left brain plus right brain combo. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask you about your thoughts of AI because that's definitely the hot topic these days. But in this world of AI, and especially with more students that are going to be using ChatGPT to speed up their work and automate things. How do we continue to have creativity and new inventions and, and balance that with governance and, and mm -hmm. things like that and ethics? So one of the things I, I don't know the answer to, mm -hmm. I, I think stuff like ChatGBT and, and, and in general AI right now can do a very, very good job. I mean, it could do a good job of writing term papers. It can do a good job of even writing code. It can do a good job of solving math problems that of, are yeah. of a type that have been solved. Yeah. Um, I don't know if AI, at least where things are right now, and, and I, 
could be wrong about this, but the big sea changes that happened, the real aha moments, like you know when you look at Isaac Newton coming up with, I have a mathematical model and I can make physical predictions from that, or you know the the folks who came up with with quantum mechanics, or even even the people who came up with AI itself. You know these big really jumps in, in very creative kind of things. I don't know if it can do that kind of thing. To me, that's a very, that still seems like that's a very human endeavor. That's, that's something, and again. And it needs that almost like spark of inspiration. Exactly, exactly. Or uh, you and I were geeking out about foundation on Apple TV and mm -hmm. like in it, it talks about like, you have your model, but there's always anomalies, right? right. Or like one yes. random person that thinks of something, and then from there it, it shifts, right? Yes, and the thing that you just reminded me of, and this is this is a personal example, but I, I, I have two sons, mm. and um, they're both very bright, but they're very bright in their own ways. So like when I played chess with him, my oldest son, he's very linear. I, I, I feel like I'm playing a steamroller where it's like I can see this thing coming, it's just coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it's just gonna crush me. When I play my youngest son, I'm like playing along, I think I'm doing great, I think I'm just beating him, and all of a sudden he makes some move and I'm like, where did that come from? All of a sudden I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm in big trouble, just out of the blue. Very intuitive kind of jump. And uh, that's the thing, I don't know how good, now I, I think, I think yeah. you know, we have great chess playing programs. You understand, I'm not yeah, talking about yeah, playing yeah. chess. It's, yes. that, it's that out of left field, right. that, that jump that you don't see coming where somebody just right. looks at something in a different way and all of a sudden, you know, boom. Um, I think I think AI is more like my older son, yeah. where it's you know it's a well, steamroller it's coming. Predict, it's predicting based on past behaviors. Yes. Right. It, there's there's no new input. It's looking at past and then modeling that. Yeah, and it's right. very good at going out there right. and gathering all the information and seeing. Oh, okay. Here are the patterns that happen. But it's like, how do you find the new pattern? And I, again, I'm not saying that you you can't have that with yeah, AI. I'm just saying, sure. I don't know if I see that. And, and that to me, that's the exciting thing um, that I see in, you know, in human creativity, whether it's in you know, math, sciences, or you know, I, I, love, I love reading Scientific American because they have, they have great articles. I read about you know, psychology. Mm. I read about, even they have social sciences in there. So it's always something, you know, they have something in there and, and I'm just like, wow, how did they think of that? You know, when they're talking about some kind of behavior pattern or you know something in biology or something it's always wow that's so super cool mm -hmm. you know but it's the new stuff it's the the jump suddenly yeah. something is very clear you know that you had no idea was there before do you see that in your students where somebody comes along and they almost like unconsciously spark a new idea or a new way of doing things. Yes, I had. I, I have to say, one of one of the students that I had work with me a long time ago. He was just super intuitive. He was such a. It, it was so funny that he. I could give him a very complicated problem that I would think it would take days for him to solve, 
and he would come back and he would have the solution you know very quickly but then when we start digging into how he found it he would have these little errors all over the place but it turned out that he saw the big picture you know he saw what the answer would be so it's like he was it wasn't linear thinking at all <laughs> it was like the opposite of that and so that whenever you know i talked to him it was just one of those things i was always fascinated like how did you get this yeah. you know and that's just the way his brain worked and do you it, think intuition something we're just born with or can it be taught uh i hope it can be taught and i think i think it can i i do I do spend a lot of time in my classes saying, now, why would somebody think of this? Or what kind of things, what kind of things would you do that would make you, you know, approach the problem in the way that, you know, Newton or in the way that, you know, somebody else decided, why did they have this idea? Yeah. What would point them in that direction? It uh, wasn't the apple that fell from the tree. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that might have had something to do with it, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think Newton's a perfect example of somebody who they had so many jumps in so many different areas. I mean, they uh, just looking at things in different ways, you know, and, and, and he's somebody that, I mean, uh, the modern understanding of color, mm -hmm. Newton is, is responsible for that. A lot of people don't associate, you know, the work he did in optics, you know, the fact that color is different wavelengths of light, you know, he came up with that. Uh, and, and it's the... It's that kind of thing. It's like looking at something in a totally different way, you know, and, and understanding something. So, Ed, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? What do you want to be remembered for? Uh, um, <laughs> what I want to be remembered for? Um, I, I, would like, I would like people to remember me. If I think about my students, you know, somebody they would want to after class go up and talk to mm -hmm. you know talk to them. whether it's i have another question about what we said in class or or you know i'm interested in this you know can you help me learn about this i would like to feel like i'm approachable and i can help people that way beautiful well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all your insights and lessons and tips and advice, both for professionals as well as students. And uh, I think there's many, many more decades that you'll be giving back to the community. And so, I hope so. <laughs> thank thank, you. You. thank, thank you. you. And thank you to all of you in the audience. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, please be sure to like and ring that bell and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Tech Legacies, as well as to subscribe to our podcasts across Apple, Spotify, and all the other channels. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Ed, for your time. And we'll see you next time on Tech Legacies. At Tech Legacies, we're all about helping technology professionals grow and succeed in their careers by sharing the advice of top technology executives. If you're looking to take your career to the next level and become a technology executive yourself, we have an exciting program to tell you about. It's called the Tech CXO Excellence Program by Tech CXO Launchpad, and they are our partners. They're offering an immersive, multimodal program 
developed and taught by current and former CIOs and CTOs who are passionate about building the next generation of C-suite technology executives. And you'll experience a full immersion into the C-suite world and also get to collaborate, network, and experience capstone-style projects with other professionals. And this is all while benefiting from face-to-face -face interactions in person with industry guest speakers. It is exclusively for a new level of C-suite executives and C-level direct reports and second directs who are earmarked for succession planning and career growth. To join their waitlist, register your interests at www.techcxolaunchpad.com. That's techcxolaunchpad.com. This program has everything you need to take your career to the next level.